When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. Professor Veena Sahajwala, welcome to the Ocean Protect podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> this is like oh, hey, the hey. coolest podcast I've ever done. <laughs> I will have to quote you on that, Vina, (laughs) because it has to be said, if if I'm honest, um, I've actually been listening to a lot of your various outlets in terms of media. So you're obviously all over TV, radio, podcasts. And I I have to say, just from the get-go, your voice is, I reckon, the most joyful voice I have ever heard. So I want to know, what's what's your secret? What's your secret? How do you become so happy and joyful and passionate? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I guess maybe it's the extra caffeine dose, whatever. <laughs> caffeine with a bit of bit of banana, but there you go. That's now my secret sound. That's my kind of you know, morning, morning, afternoon, evening, day ritual. Most of my meals kind of, you know, hover around, making sure I go everywhere in my bag with my banana and, and my mega sort of caffeine mug. Jimmy, <laughs> <laughs> I think share prices and bananas have just gone up. Uh, Jeremy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be, you know, the nature's best kept secret, right? comes with its own packaging. Exactly. Yeah. We asked the hard questions on this show, Vina. So last year, you won New South Wales Australian of the Year. First up, congratulations. But secondly, how does someone actually go about getting this award? Because Jeremy's actually just moved back to Sydney. He's spent many years in New South Wales. He's come back from New Zealand. So he's a big chance, he thinks. How oh, does Jeremy win uh, New so South Wales of Australian you're of the so Year? You're so full of it. <laughs> oh, it- look, we are all love the planet. We've got the one thing in common that we all have going for us. We love the planet. We're passionate about, and we also know, you know, what we need to do to get it right. You know, we haven't quite got everything right, but you know what? I mean, that's the the bit I love about the work I do, um, the science, the technology. But the most important thing is the fact that people want to care for our planet. And that's something that so many of us are really passionate about. We know that the well-being of people and the planet goes together, goes hand in hand. So I think every time, you know, we stop and we reflect on, you know, what we do in our everyday actions as human beings on this planet, there's a lot we can all kind of pause and reflect a little bit perhaps. So yeah, so I'd probably say, that's a good place to start. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. That was amazing. <laughs> uh, Vina, uh, we're moving off that question and, and, and to, to Brad's point. Congratulations. We on the show, we love a bit of a backstory. And yeah. I think okay. your backstory will be a little bit more interesting than Brad's. So, <laughs> first of all, where are you calling from? And give us a bit of your backstory of how you've got to where you are today. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm at the University of New South Wales. And my role as the director of the Smart Center, that's Sustainable Materials Research and Technology, is something I love doing because, you know, everyone at the Smart Center is so passionate about the fact that there is so much we can do in terms of taking a lot of that, you know, world-leading, pioneering science and the way we challenge scientific fundamentals. But at the same time, we can actually bring that in the context of 
the world around us, whether it is our oceans, our land, our air, we actually at the Smart Center are really conscious of the fact that as scientists and as, and as engineers, we can do a lot of great science. And at the same time, we can work with those practitioners and we can deploy technologies. So I guess to us, that's the coolest thing we love doing. Our micro factories is a great example of some of the more recent work that we've been looking to deploy in so many regional communities and many of our partners in industry and communities are equally passionate about it. So I think for for all of us, regardless of what our backstories have been, and for many of our industry partners, it's pretty cool when you go to somebody's house for a Christmas party, as we did more recently, and you kind of walk into this beautiful space that they live in, and it kind of hits you because you can see beautiful ocean right here in New South Wales. And you know that living and breathing examples of all of us, people and human beings are so connected to the earth. And I guess to me, this is why we all do what we do. So the Smart Center, for a lot of us, our backstories keep happening because they're so intertwined. I remember with some of my colleagues going to India a few years ago and really kind of walking through, talk about those back streets in so many towns and cities. And on one hand, we get excited about seeing the local entrepreneurship. People are looking at recycling. And that's been happening in India for a long, long time. You know, I was born in Mumbai. And I think to me, the exciting part about looking at how entrepreneurship and business minds are developing is great to see. But we're also touched by the fact that so many people's lives have been impacted by pollution. So I think that it's becoming more and more urgent. It's becoming super urgent for our planet, no matter where you live on this planet. And all those beautiful beaches, whether they're in Australia or or in India, indeed, you know, growing up in Mumbai, as you might have heard of, you know, beautiful beaches that are there. I just recall feeling really hurt by the fact that there was so much pollution around in beautiful cities in India, and particularly where I grew up. But the connectivity between going, but wait a minute, so these are useful materials. And if these can become part of people's livelihoods and the way people were recycling and seeing their ability to be practical at that practical hands-on level, can we not look at how collecting all of these materials, they are resources, they're not waste, but how do you collect those? How do you then bring that back into production? The most important thing then becomes, could that then be supporting Uh, local economies? Could that be supporting local jobs? And I think to me, that was one of the things I loved about places like Mumbai, that every entrepreneur, every guy, whether it was, you know, that single guy trying to make a living, small businesses coming together. I think that spirit of entrepreneurship is what got me so excited about everything, that there is a way in which we can see science and technology and manufacturing and businesses all coming together, because we've got to find a way to align that what we do for the good of humanity has got to be first and foremost recognizing that's got to be coupled with what we do for the good of our planet. And I think to me, that's the beauty of it when people are your champions, your local champions who are interested in making sure that we look after our planets, clean up our beaches, do all the wonderful things that we do, whether you live in Sydney or Mumbai, it doesn't matter. But the fact that we all have that purpose, I think to me, one of the things about our technologies that smart when we talk about technologies that are fit for purpose. They've got to be about technologies that deliver the outcomes that we need. So yes, you can take your waste, bring it back into production. You can make materials and products that are fit for purpose. But in all of this, we've got to be mindful that we do it in a way that we don't cause any further pollution and we don't cause any further harm to our planet. And I think to me, when we look at it in that holistic way, um, think about that human-centered desire to make a living, to provide for our families and to do all the things that humans, you know, are motivated to do. Yes, we go to work because that's an important part, but we're also connected to our planets. And I think to me, the, the ability to be connected to our planet Earth means that, you know, you want to be able to clean up. You you want to go to to beaches and places that are not polluted. I remember going to some of the sort of places in Delhi where we were visiting in that trip a few years ago and the outskirts of Delhi where there was a lot of, you know, collection happening with e-waste. And I just remember thinking, 
this has got to be a big service for our planet, right? Because all those valuable materials that are there in our e-waste, our electronic waste, those metals like copper, they are important metals if we're going to actually think about how we produce those devices that allow us to store energy. So when we talk about energy in a broader sense, it actually has to come from the fact that all the things that we've already made and we've used are not trash, they're not waste. But the fact that there were all these amazing champions in this waste collection site and they were looking to do repairs and then they were looking to basically collect all of those materials and on sell it. I mean, imagine if we could all look after all those products that we use and see that as part of, you know, doing the right thing for our planet. We all want to do it. Our hearts are in the right place. But I think it's also thinking about clever technologies that are going to be fit for purpose. So part of what we're doing with our micro factories is exactly that. Taking waste plastics that come from so many of our e-waste electronic items and using that plastic for producing all kinds of products that can be made in small scale manufacturing systems. So that's really what our micro factory is all about. But at the same time, recognizing that not all plastics are the same, right? Because what goes into food packaging, what goes into electronics, what goes into all those goods and services that we need in communication and hospitals and education. So many different kinds of plastics exist. They are there for a purpose. But why should we see it as waste and just discard it just because it's kind of done one life and one service. And now we're sort of going, oh, but it was good up to a point and now it's no longer useful. But that's not quite right because those materials, those fundamental molecules are able to be reformed over and over again. So if that was a mindset right from get go, we'd be able to have that holistic and end to end systems and solutions that bring materials back into our production systems and we bring them back to life, remanufacture. So thinking about green manufacturing, thinking about going beyond traditional recycling and reforming, allowing us to have technologies that are fit for purpose and to give us the ability where science and technology can make a huge difference to the way we live. It's gonna be exciting way of thinking about <laughs> well, I, I can tell Fair you're enough. very excited about it. Well, 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 and, and there's about 30 or 40 questions just in that opening. <laughs> <laughs> and it's lovely to have someone on the show that's just as excited as Brad and I when we talk. Oh. But oh, I'm just going to dive straight in. I, I, love sure. a couple of, I love a couple of things. Waste is an opportunity. Yeah. And that's such an important shift that I've really never really considered it until I sort of started to look at the work that you have done. And I thought that's just it's such a good way to rephrase it. I'm just mm. going to ask you a question in regards to the e-waste that we're seeing now. What are your views on the, the manufacturers who are producing these new technologies? And let's face it, you used to buy a cassette player or, or a DVD player back in the day. It would last you five or ten years. Now the products are getting cheaper and cheaper and therefore they're not lasting as long. We can do as much e-waste recycling as we can and through the micro factories, etc. But what are your views on the manufacturers and how do you think we should be holding them more, uh, more accountable for, for the supply chain that's been pushed down onto the consumer? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, when we talk about supply chains, the important question there is spot on. You know, we all have to take responsibility. So at the end of the day, I think when we talk about how manufacturers need to play a part, I think those ones that are going to be savvy, that are going to feel the pulse of what people want, they're going to be the ones who are going to come out as winners in in this entire ecosystem. So gone are the days when manufacturers could kind of go, well, you know, it's not my problem anymore. Well, you know, it's everyone's responsibility. It's one planet, it's a collective future, which means if a manufacturer is taking that responsibility and going, you know what, let me partner up. I may not know where all the solutions lie because I'm in the business of making stuff but let me partner up with, here's my partner X who understands how to do remanufacturing, how to do recycling. Let's kind of, in a holistic way, talk about the fact that when product stewardship, when we talk about bringing products back into the ecosystem again, back for recycling and remanufacturing, all the answers don't have to sit with one organization. So I think to me, that's 
way of thinking about creating that ecosystem. So you may well say, okay, well, here's, here's our science partner, here's our technology partner. Now let's bring those products, those obsolete systems and devices back into the hands of this other company, this new technology is being developed for recycling. Let's now make sure that we don't just say, well, it's no longer my responsibility, but be proactive in saying, actually, here's a place you can bring it back. This is, for example, a system that we've created whereby you can actually have not only product stewardship and just saying, well, just drop it off here. Let's do more. Let's be completely transparent in saying, if you bring it to this point, this is what happens to it because consumers want to know more than just bringing something in and dropping it off at a point. People want to know what's happening to it. So if I'm putting in a lot of hard work in making sure I bring it back, I do all the right things, then is your remanufacturer actually able to then put it back into another manufacturing system. So indeed, some of the partnerships that we're developing with our recycling and remanufacturing partners is exactly that. So when they're setting up, for example, you know, micro factory for our plastic filaments, for instance, we know that they're going to do the right thing because at the end of the day for them, the ability to make those high quality products matters because it's no point kind of talking about something that, oh, we're going to manufacture this and then suddenly you realize, well, actually, it's not really fit for any purpose because it doesn't fulfill the quality expectations. So part of the reason why we've got to be very clever in the way we think about partnerships is also to say that just because it's made from waste, you know, doesn't mean it's low quality or it's substandard. So we need to also have, as people who do science and technology development, we also need to be mindful and respectful of those organizations that are able to then say, right, can we now take these ways? Let's transfer that technology to our site, work with us, let's work in partnership so we create high quality products that are fit for purpose. So it's again back to that point that purpose-driven solution and system is what matters. I'm not just doing recycling for the sake of ticking a box and just kind of feeling good about it. That's only the starting point. The subsequent stages of testing, materials performance, and all of those scientific questions have to come into it. So to your point, Jeremy, there that, you know, who's responsible? There's no such thing as here's one person who's going to have to solve all the problems or one organization, but rather to say, look, I may partner up. I might be someone who's bringing in a certain item through retailers and therefore on selling it. But why can't I be responsible for showing in that system that you can drop it right back to a certain location? This is how it's going to get remanufactured. This is what I'm going to do. And if I don't have all the answers on day one, I'm going to work with my research partners to provide that answer. Because I think it's also time that we all are very transparent and we all are asking the right questions. We're not saying magically, you know, all the answers have to be on the table. Of course not. We know scientifically these are challenging questions. So the kinds of things when we talk about whether they are plastics or metals, you know, to the point we were talking about e-waste, e-waste contains plastics and metals, and they're all equally important. But you know what? You think about all the packaging that is multi-layered packaging. You've got plastics, and you've got metals in there. So it's not as if it's as simple as going, well, here's a nice piece of plastic packaging that I picked up that contained food, and now it's good to go. Well, let's be honest in recognizing that there are many different kinds of packaging materials as well. So even the simple and humble multi-layered packaging where there might be aluminum and plastic together, or indeed in e-waste where you've got plastic and copper together, requires very sophisticated way of thinking just like when we think about making a product, we've got to apply equally that scientific sophistication to the unmaking part of it. And the unmaking and the remaking that we're talking about here is not simple. It requires, you know, world-leading research, which is really what we're doing at Smart Center, but we're doing it in partnerships with those businesses that are actually committed, knowing fully well that anytime you take on you know, world-leading scientific discoveries and implement that, it's not an easy journey. Because if it was easy, we'd all be doing it. No one's 
arguing that it's easy and it's a very complex, wicked problem. And it's like you said, it's sort of everyone's responsibility. But we are fundamentally in a plastic pollution crisis. I mean, if I look at the just some of the figures in the uh, national federal Australian government's uh, national plastics uh, plan, I talk about three and a half million tons of plastic is used in Australia. Sixty percent of that is imported. They think there'll be more plastic than fish by 2050 in our oceans. Only about 84 percent of plastic. Only 13% is actually recycled. And it's great to hear that some companies are trying to do the right thing. Jeremy and myself are very impatient individuals. How do we ramp this up? How do we expedite this and solve this plastic pollution crisis? Yeah, no, look, I mean, really good question, Brad, because I think to me, one of the things that when we talk about a collective responsibility and part of what we're saying here is that if we actually want to be able to ramp it up, first and foremost, we've got to be able to say the unnecessary ones need to be eliminated. We have to be able to recognize that we've kind of expected life to be just so super convenient that, you know, all the plastic cutlery has to be available, you know, just because we can go around a shop and pick up plastic sort of plates and cutlery because we're having a bit of a picnic in the park. And then we go, well, we want the convenience. So I think we're all going to have to kind of make that call that at a personal level, do we kind of decide that, you know what, we're going to take that responsibility in our own hands and say, Australia is a fabulous um, culture of BYO, <laughs> you know, mm, mm, mm. so let's kind of talk about BYO in yeah. many, many different ways. You know, if you're turning up um, to a friend's kind of picnic, you basically turn up with your own little bowl and forks and knives and cups and all of that and take it back home and put in your dishwasher and wash it, right? So, so I think to me, part of this thinking where you can kind of pause and reflect and go, wait, actually, if we all did that and that became the norm, then we didn't need to worry about it, right? So I think part of that initial first step of that responsibility in saying any any of the items that are unnecessary purchases, we need to stop that. But at the other end of the spectrum, you know, we're talking about also those kinds of plastics that are actually there in our, you know, let's call it those electronic devices that we were talking about before. And you've got your printers and so on and so forth. How do you then say that I'm going to make sure that when it's long life, high performance, high quality products, that those ones get the due respect in the way they are treated and handled. That means all of us need to actually then ask our council or whoever's taking it away on curbside collection days to say, well, actually, if I'm putting out my curbside collection in a responsible manner, I need to know if those products are going to be recycled and remanufactured. Because guess what? When you talk about high quality products, they actually have durability in them to go into many, many lives. We just need to be able to say that we can't afford to have this thinking that just because we're done with it as a printer, it's now suddenly become obsolete or whatever. I mean, to our point that things come into the country, but then we're stuck with something that's no longer serviceable anymore, can't be repaired, can't be fixed. And therefore we've got to now, you know, see it as end of life, obsolete products effort goes to landfill. So I think to me, there are two ends of the spectrum, right? One is all the short lifespan products that need to completely be removed from the equation. And then at the end of the whole sort of bigger picture becomes all of these important plastics that can be remanufactured. But then the important question is, if they can be remanufactured, what we have to also assume that enough market buyers in Australia are committed to buying recycled and remanufactured products, right? It's no point saying, oh, great, here's someone who's able to make it. But then all of a sudden we look around and go, oh, wait, but there are no markets, right? <laughs> the market is us. We're all part of the market. If there is, for example, the ability to go and buy recycled product that goes into some particular industrial or a building or construction example, we should be able to tell those suppliers or people who are part of the supply chain that, hey, you know what, we fully expect you to go and do your homework, come back to us and tell us if you can actually make clamps, fixtures, and a whole bunch of other components and parts out of 100% recycled plastics, for example. And you might say, really, can that be done? Okay, voila, here is a <laughs> clamp. That has been made in our micro factories at the Smart Center at UNSW. We took 100% waste plastics, put that into a micro factory, made plastic filaments, 3D printed that clamp. And the ones who want to use those products are 
actually excited about it because not only can they make standard items like that, because just think for a moment, if you can manage to design the actual product you want that nobody else is selling anywhere else in the world, you can suddenly go, well, this is cool. I cannot design it. I can only make the number of parts that I need. No need to have unnecessary excess production just in case I need it. I can now do that out of 100% recycled plastics. So the advantage of thinking in a holistic way is not just that a user is kind of getting motivated to go, hey, great, I can buy locally made things. I can buy things that are made from recycled plastics, but it also gives me the opportunity to work with local manufacturers to design exactly the kind of product I need. Order, if I need 500 of these clams, I'm going to order 500. I'm not going to necessarily order thousands and thousands of parts and components just in case, right? So part of thinking that decentralized way of local production and having these kinds of systems that are able to put it into production made our recycled content means we all, as we participate in the marketplace, we know that end users, no matter what industry you are in, you can actually go out there and ask your suppliers, so part of the supply chain, and insist that you need to see whether their purchasing is actually all about recycled products and what is that product stewardship plan. So so imagine if we start to ask our suppliers all these questions, everyone's going to go, oh, gee, I better come up with a plan for what's going to happen to end-of-life products. Is that a role for government then? Because if manufacturers had to do something like that, say a minimum percentage of all their products had to be made by X percentage of recycled plastic, is there an opportunity for federal government to really lead in this regard? Because obviously there's a, I referred to the National Plastics Plan from 2021 just before. And from my perspective, it's a bit of a soft, wishy-washy, you know, not hard hitting strategy to really mitigate plastic pollution. Is there a real opportunity for federal or state government to go, no, 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 we're going to mandate essentially a, a, a massive push to reduce plastic pollution, starting with the manufacturers in terms of mandatory plastic proportions? Or, or, or what, what does it look like? I'm not sure. Do you think there's a, a greater role for federal government here? I think that, you know, when we're talking about manufacturing, I mean, one of the things that, you know, we have to be mindful of is that foundation of science and engineering has to be there, right? Mm. So we have to be able to make quality products because mm. we don't want an alternative to be substandard. And this is this is really the point here. I mean, one of the things we're doing with my role as the leader of the Sustainable Communities and Waste Hub is engaging with, of course, where plastic um, pollution that, of course, we know exists on our planet to be able to reduce that impact by also engaging with local governments, right? So when you think about local governments, whether you're in, for example, you know, in Sydney or anywhere in the state from the northern beaches and and up north and down south, we're working with Shoalhaven City Council, for instance. I mean, all of these cases, I think to me, the ability to engage at the local government level, which is what we're doing as part of this collaboration, when we talk about collaboration with industry and local governments and research, is that we're all working together and collaborating in the way that makes sense at that local government level. Because remembering part of the challenge is also that it's a local government, your local councils that actually provides those services, right? So if they're providing those services, let me give you an example of what we're doing with Shoalhaven City Council, for instance. I mean, one of the things we're looking to set up with them is basically in partnership with Kandui Technologies, our industry partner, who's then saying, okay, well, cool, now I can set up green ceramics, which takes in waste glass and waste textiles as part of that solution. So in doing that, we've already created a supply chain that pulls in all of that waste glass that the local council had, which came from our yellow bins, well-controlled, well-managed feedstock material, We've got another supplier who's basically saying, let me give you waste textiles so that I don't just kind of see it as a waste and a problem for disposal into landfill, but let me manage that supply chain and bring some of those waste textiles back into production. So between all of this, that local government, local businesses, we're actually now together taking that science and piloting those kinds of systems. To that point, I guess what we have to do is be prepared for the fact that if we're going to say that we're going to eliminate some of these products 
and bring in more recycled content into manufacturing, I think the important point has to be that there's got to be enough capacity at the level of local government to work with those businesses to do that. And even if you're not, you know, quite as, you know, well equipped with machines and skills and so on, as we're doing now with, with Shoalhaven and the partnership we're setting up there, you can certainly kind of go, well, okay, well, you've got a tech partner. So with Kandui Technologies, for example, you've got a tech partner, you can actually have somebody like that providing that service to be able to start to produce those products. And with plastics and the filaments and the, and the 3D printer example that you know I've given, that's exactly the kind of stuff we're embarking on. How do we practically make it happen? Because I think to me, you can inform policy and you can have policy and all of that's great. But I think to me, again, you know, putting on my hat as a scientist and as an engineer, to me, one of the things I love about innovation and about technology is that you can start to, you know, walk the talk. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It's great that Shoalhaven Council is one example is, is leading the, a relationship with council and university. But my concern is, and Jeremy will attest to this, we, at Ocean Protect, we liaised with a whole bunch of councils across Australia. I think there's something like 530 local government associations across Australia. And they will all generally tell you that they're under the pump. They're under-resourced. They've got a myriad of responsibilities from library cards to dog registration to roads, rubbish and rates, whatever. My concern is that they won't have the capacity to take on more responsibility to mitigate this waste management uh, issue. I'm just thinking, is there a role for someone else? What else could we do? Uh, whether it's an injection of funding, whether it's a state government-led initiative, whether it's just a, a really heavy-handed approach around the manufacturer of this material. I, I'm not sure. It's got to be consumer-driven. We've got to drive it, really. I, I was listening to you before, Vina, going, well, produce this clip out of waste. Well, wouldn't it be cool if every waste centre you went to, you could go and say, oh, look, I need to buy a couple of these parts and they're manufacturing on-site simple parts that you could use for everyday life, whether it's uh, something for your hose or a clip or something like that. It has to be consumer-driven, Brad. I mean, I, without us demanding it, mm, yeah, who, yeah. who, who yeah. else is going to? Yeah. Like local government, as you say, they don't have the resources. Federal government, I mean, it's that plastic plan that's come out is pretty much in response to public pressure yeah. from organisations yeah. yeah. all around Australia. I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Vina, I don't know what your thoughts are, but it's got to be consumer-driven. We're the ones that have got to stand up Take the sacrifice. As you say, life's not going to be as convenient as it once was, but we're going to be doing the right thing. And, and therefore, that's going to provide opportunities. I was thinking also, these big tech companies, if Apple said, hey, if you return this iPhone, you're going to get a $200 store credit or something along those lines, and we will use this into production, you'd be like, great. Oh, fantastic. You'd go to your drawer, you'd pull out three or four of your old iPhones that for some reason we all still keep, and you would take them back. It would increase customer retention. So I think there's a massive opportunity there from the from a corporate point of view, but it has to be driven by by the consumer. Vina, what are your thoughts? Oh, look, you know, I mean, absolutely, which is why I sort of talk about it as a collective future, right? Because that's kind of what we're, we're talking about. At the end of the day, we as human beings have to decide at what cost? Because I think at some point in time, things just became so cheap and so cheap. And then it just kind of, we got into that disposable mindset. Because I think we could just see the dollar value that we were paying for it. But in a way, we were kind of not able to see the cost to the planet, right? Whereas I think now we're all so much more aware of 
of the impact that we can have in a positive way, because and that's why we're all feeling really motivated about the fact that, hey, you know what, we can do things. And I mean, the example of this clamp that I was showing you earlier uh, <laughs> was something that, you know, I mean, literally came out of these kinds of conversations where people kind of go, hey, that's pretty cool. And the excitement again, you know, you talk about consumer driven. Yep. I mean, we've got our green ceramics micro factory being built this year and it's going to ramp up scale and capacity and all of that. But let's face it. I mean, if my industry partner did not have the demand, so we talk about mm. the consumer demand, whether they are people like us making choices for our homes or our offices or or choices that corporates make. But, you know, I mean, again, corporates are people like us, right? There are people mm. like us who kind of sit there and go, but wait a minute, no, we're going through a bit of a refurb in our building. This is a refurb that I have the choice where I can champion things. And I think to me, one of the things we've seen is you know, whether it's in corporations, whether it's people in their homes or or just small buildings and a lot of that installation that we're seeing the demand for this year that is, is in the pipeline, which is which is kind of the exciting thing that I'm absolutely super excited about. I mean, the kinds of meetings we had late last year where it was about the fact that, oh, wait a minute. So if we all make a choice about how we choose to kind of place orders, I mean, which is kind of the point we were just making, whether you're making small order or big order on behalf of your home or because it's your job in a particular office environment, it doesn't matter. At a human level, we can all be championing these causes. And I think to me, that's where we saw a big difference. And I mean, I, I just recall this, this massive meeting we had in December just before Christmas. And I think to me, the exciting thing there was a lot of people in the room who we had never met before, right? But a lot of these guys in their own way had read about the work that we were doing. And literally the conversation was so exciting, so positive. And I think to me that just reflected that at the human level when I was talking about the fact that, hey, guys, let's stop and reflect on every action you're going to make for your business, big or small, is going to be the first time ever in the world that we're all going to be installing this product in our setting. And the fact that you're part of the supply chain and you're part of this big, exciting new frontier to take on pioneering world-leading science and to install that product, which is the outcome of Australian science leading the world in this way, I think everyone just kind of it was maybe that goosebump moment when everyone kind of felt, oh, yeah, let's kind of, you know, really stop and celebrate the fact that this is a cool way to talk about the impact of Australian science. But I think in all of this, you guys are absolutely right. There, there was somewhere in there that sense of purpose that, yes, I might be doing this on behalf of my organization or my company, but the fact that I can champion it at an individual level within my business and really inspire others in my organization and the fact that in that room, there were so many different people from different parts of the world of business and we were all converging and aligning so beautifully. I think to me, that was kind of in a way a really proud moment to feel <laughs> like Aussie. Yes, we know that we're doing it for the right reasons. So I think when people kind of talk about, oh, corporations, blah, 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 you sort of know that there is that Aussie spirit that resides in all of us, no matter whether we come to work, you know, or we choices we make at homes. But I think that day was a classic representation of the fact that, yeah, if we feel we can collaborate and come together and make a difference through the choices we make and inspire, I think what they walked away feeling that, you know what, we can all inspire each other's with mm -hmm. our own stories. Yeah. And the fact that on that day, we had these amazing conversations about, I tell you what, I can get totally nerdy about science. <laughs> and, I, and I think I kind of stop myself from going, no, no, wait, okay. Please give me a license to be totally science nerd for a short time. <laughs> Where I did that, did the science nerdy thing, did the engineering thing, did the technology. And then my partners from Smart Center, our tech partners, you know, Anima and Andrew were all kind of out there going, yeah, we're, we're being super cool nerds here. But the fact <laughs> that everybody in the room felt the same buzz, I think showed that we understand the importance of science, technology and its implementation.
It's, it's hip to be square. There's no doubt about that. And uh, look, I think you're right in terms of that, you know, inspiring the individual and to Jeremy's point, you know, inspiring or motivated cons- consumer change. And I think that in many parts comes from people, like you said, telling their stories. This is something that I think you've been a, a massive pioneer of. Like, like I said at the start, you're all over various media outlets radio, TV, podcast, you've won a whole bunch of awards, deservingly so. You've really put yourself out there, which is pretty unusual for an academic, uh, particularly a professor. Has this been a, a conscious decision to be outspoken and inspire, or has it just sort of almost happened just by the nature of your joyous personality? <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you it was never really a conscious decision. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Although it's a very good question. I'm sure uh, people will say, oh, yeah, she just kind of rambles on every so often. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And then I go, oh, um, someone's listening. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's, it's a bit like uh, I'll never forget in the early days, you know, with my green steel. I'd sort of go knocking on on doors going, hey, imagine this is a cool thing. We, we're taking waste tires and we could be recycling this and use that in the making of steel. We could reduce the consumption of coal. And, and I remember in the early days when a lot of these experiments were happening, it was all sort of so exciting. I realized at that point was, I think I'm the only one in the room here getting all excited about the science. And because <laughs> I, I didn't realize it was like, you know, oh my gosh, you try to get into the depths of science and explain, you know, how it works and all that. And I had to almost sort of look around the room and go, oh, <laughs> so here we are years later when i when i when you talk about that brad it's it's a humbling experience and i and i think mm. to me you know and i think in a way that journey of you know yes having lots of conversations and talking about science and technology but i think what has really mattered in this kind of storytelling as you say and the piece where we've all been having this conversation is I think a lot of my industry partners I've got to give them a lot of credit you know I mean my partner who makes green steel in Newcastle Molly Cop, you know an example of a company like that you know 100 year old steel making company for a lot of people if you're working in some of the the more traditional industries you can kind of sit back and go, well, how can we really make a difference? You know, we can't. But on the other hand, the motivation was there. You know, it was absolutely, oh, this is cool. We can use, you know, waste tires in the process of making steel. And why? Because the science was able to show that you can actually start to liberate right down at the micro level. When it went into the furnace and all those reactions were happening, you were liberating both that hydrogen molecule that you needed in the production which had never been done before, but then also coal gives you carbon, but that waste tire in its own self was able to do that. So I think, yes, years and years of science proved that that was the case. And we obviously had that scientific foundation, but I think it it has to take more than that, like we've been talking about, which is your industry partners, because Mm -hmm. they are the ones who know that when Whenever you take on new science, new technology, yes, it's it's about the scientific understanding and all the peer-reviewed papers and everything else you can do, but there is also that business and technological risk that comes with any new technology. And we were not shying away from talking about that you know, around the tables whenever we had our conversations. And to this day, we continue to work in that manner where researchers from universities, our, our team at Smart Center at UNSW, industry partner, Molly Cobb, and I mentioned uh, the SME Kandui, um located in Nara. I mean, doesn't matter how big or small you are, I think having that conversation that then says, okay, this is cool science. Now, what are the stages I need to take? How do I need to prepare myself for this pioneering science to actually be deployed. And I think to me, that's really what's been an absolute game changer, that collaboration with industry, that they're not afraid. And I think a lot of the ones who are champions, you know, I've given given examples from Newcastle to Nara and, and, and many of those we partner up with in Sydney as well. I think in all of these cases fundamentally is, again, back to people, you know, people who know that the making of these products, we talked about manufacturing, will need to continue. How do we also have that conversation that recognizes that a lot of these are going to be brand new jobs? Mm. So that's a positive side of Mm. it, new jobs that did not exist before. Because if we're going to make it right here in Australia and not import lots of these products that we've talked about from overseas, that's got to be another positive. So 
people can see the bigger picture. And I think to me, that requires that skilling up in terms of the people side of it, you know, having new manufacturing jobs, recognizing that at every level, doesn't matter big or small, as an organization, you've got to be prepared to train up. That means collaboration. When we talk about collaboration with scientific leaders, it's not just about the the training and the doing of the research and technology development. It also is about people who come along on that journey with you. And I know young people are so super excited about about the work that we do and and, want to be a part of it. We've said on the show a lot of the time that capitalism is going to be a big driver in helping us save the planet. You know, we can't ignore that. We need corporations around the world to jump on board. So it's interesting to hear you sort of mirror that in, in your way. Apart from your own, what are the other things that you see on the horizon that could be game changers when it comes to recycling? Obviously, what you, the work you guys are, are doing, but what else are you sort of seeing in and around Australia and outside the world that you go, wow, this is really, really exciting? I did allude to uh, green steel earlier. Yeah, we're doing obviously work in Australia and, and, um, you know, um, of course, as a small country, we're still, you know, punching above our weight. We're still developing that, that science and technology in, in the scale that our industry partners are able to do on, on their furnaces, you know, the Newcastle example. But I think to me, what's been really exciting in this entire conversation around, let's say if we picked up something like green steel, is to recognize that there is a lot of fantastic work happening um, in other parts of the world. You know, I mean, I can give examples of uh, places in Europe where for a long time, having that kind of partnership places in Sweden, and I've had Swedish collaborators, um, you know, for for a long time, they've come to our labs, and and I've I've gone and visited them many times. I think, in a way, absolute role model for how collaboration must take place between businesses, universities, research, and I think the example of, of work that they're looking at, different to what we're doing with Green Steel, of course, but in, in their world, um, the kind of pilot facilities that they're setting up obviously means that the piloting work will require and has required, no doubt, a lot of investment. And I think to me, that was an important thing to kind of look at and go, this is pretty cool because if they develop something in their domain that is fit for their purpose, we're putting something together that's fit for our purpose here. I think to me, in both of those instances, this is exactly what the world needs. If we're deciding that, for instance, we want to make green steel, that we need to have more and more uh, players in this world who are saying, look, you know, we can afford to trial another pilot facility in you know, Europe somewhere and, you know, just like we're doing a few things here in Australia. And we don't have to necessarily see ourselves as if, oh my gosh, it's us or them in a competition. I think we've got to have very much that spirit of collaboration that says, okay, you know, this is pretty cool. You guys have got, okay, deeper pockets. That's fine. We recognize that, you know, there's there's a whole lot more money that you guys can spend there. And that's cool. You guys can do kind of some of the pilots that require more investment. Investment. In our case in Australia, yep, we might be small in the investment and the, the money that's gone into it, but the impact that we've made with our version, the Aussie version of our green steel technology with polymer injection, obviously that's applicable to electric arc furnace steel making that uh, Mollycop is doing in Newcastle. So I think to me, that's really where I feel that we can inspire each other. And the fact that ultimately, if we're going to eliminate the need for coal and coke in the process of making steel, then, you know, we might find that, hey, some of the work we're doing in Australia, that could also be applicable in some other part of the world in a different setting. So some of the more recent work we've been doing, for instance, is using weight, waste coming not from tires and plastics, but waste coming from, the secret is right here, all the coffee residue (laughs) that's left behind. Think about all those fabulous coffee drinkers, Sydney or anywhere else in the world, suddenly going, oh my gosh, I feel guilty about all that coffee that I'm consuming, uh, because I know I do. (laughs) And then suddenly you've got this fabulous resource that is available just about anywhere in the world. And imagine if that coffee residue 
yes, we know we can put it towards composting, but there is more than enough supply of waste coffee residue that we need to have multiple pathways to shaping a sustainable future. I'm not saying we do only one thing or another. Again, you could put some towards composting if that works and you consume whatever works in that space. Then you come back and go, but wait a minute, if this could replace some of the coal and coke that is required for making a steel, then that could be another option, another pathway to a far more greener manufacturing technology. Part of the reason why I get excited about this is that if there are multiple players across the world doing pretty cool things, well, hey, I know the Swedes love their coffee too, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you never know, they might be looking towards some of our research and going, hey, this is a pretty cool way to use all of that waste coffee that we didn't know what to do with, you know. So, so that's what, to me, I get really super excited about. I'm sure you get super excited about lots and lots of things. And I feel as though you need your own podcast series. Uh, and we ha we've only briefly touched on the incredible innovation of, of, of green steel. And we haven't even talked about your micro factories that you've initiated across Australia, which, you know, if people want to, I'll, I'll include some links in the show notes about this sort of stuff, but I'd really encourage people to, to learn more if they can. And I'll probably finish it with this one question. And we ask our guests this generally is around optimism. There's a lot of doom and gloom uh, statistics around particularly plastic pollution. And we have a myriad of guests talking about all sorts of dire aspects of plastic, whether it's leaking into our blood, into our placentas of our unborn babies, etc. Are you optimistic? I feel as though I know the answer to this question. <laughs> but uh, and I recognise that the uh, federal government have set some lofty targets around plastic pollution, you know, achieving an 80% reduction in all waste streams by 2030, uh, banning the export of waste plastic, etc. But are you optimistic around the plastic pollution crisis in particular? Can we turn this around? Look, absolutely, Brad. I do feel really positive and optimistic because, of course, when you do the science and technology development yourself, you know that there are things you can do straight away. You know, what I call the low-hanging fruit, the short-term, medium-term, you can do a lot of things straight away. And understanding the fundamentals of that material science, that engineering and understanding what kinds of plastics are responsible for pollution and what kind of pilots and interventions and things that we can do to be able to kind of really stop that pollution before it, it kind of goes off continuing to pollute our waterways, for example. We do know that we're clever enough, we're committed, we've got the science, we've got our hearts, we've got our hearts and minds, you know, kind of saying, we need to do this, we need to do this. So I think all the pieces of the puzzle are there. And I think to me, the kinds of actions that we all can take together, which is where our industry partners are saying, right, we can bring about a change in the way we can action some of the solutions that we can implement. As members of community, we know we can, you know, minimize and even eliminate the dependency on all of those things that were seen as convenience only purpose. We know that we can actually work hard and make that commitment. So whether it is at an individual level, whether it is at a business level, I think the foundation of science will show us and will teach us and guide us. And I think to me, the super cool part about doing material science and to be able to talk about how we bring all of that into the community is something that I'm really excited about. And I think to me, that's how we're going to drive the change and Australia can lead the world in this space, bring all of us together and show to the rest of the world that it can be done. Wow. Vina, this has been an absolute pleasure. It's a real, real honour to have you on our podcast. It's been so good chatting with you today. Thank you so much for coming on. And all I can say is just all the very best in your future endeavours. And I cannot wait to see what you achieve in the next five, 10 years or more. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brad and Jeremy, for having me on your show. I'm really so excited that <laughs> I had the opportunity to have this chat with you guys. It's been awesome and really, really cool. Boom, Thank boom. Check the room. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.